Let's take a moment and just quiet ourselves, center ourselves, take a few breaths as we prepare to engage with God's word this morning. Lord, we trust your presence is with us, and we thank you that you are a God with us, Emmanuel. Lord, I ask that you would reveal yourself to us this morning, that we would hear from you, that we would hear that still, small voice as we're together here this morning. May this worship be pleasing to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Advent is a season marked by hope. It's a time where we focus more acutely on the hope that we have in Christ, the hope we have as God's people brought near to God through Christ. At the same time, it's a season marked by longing. It's a time where we often become more aware of a longing deep in our hearts, deep in our souls, a longing for a world yet to come, a longing for a world that we cannot yet see in fullness, a longing for a time when all things shall be set right, all creation at peace. I don't know about you, but I personally find this paradoxical quality of this season, of this Advent season, to be a bit awkward. I find it a bit uncomfortable. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to be rejoicing, skipping about, decking the halls, or lamenting the injustices and the fracture I see in the world, waiting groaning with the rest of creation as we wait on God to come. Does anyone else feel this? This kind of uh, uncertainty about how to be in this tension of hope and longing. We are people who live in between. We live between the coming of the Christ child, what God has already done, And we wait in expectation on the full coming of God's reign on earth and for the return of Christ, what God will yet do. We are people who live in between. We live with one foot in the reality that Jesus has already come into the world, and that is our hope. And we live with another foot in a battered world, a world that seems to be getting worse by the minute, according to the news, and therein is the source of our longing. We live in this tension all the time, not just in the month of December, uh, but Advent does give us space to look a little closer, to look a little deeper at this paradoxical nature of our existence as kingdom citizens who live in a fractured world, and that's where I want to focus our time this morning, because this simultaneous hope and longing is something I see in our scripture passage on this second Sunday of Advent. We're in Isaiah 11 this morning verses 1 through 10. And let me just say a brief word about Isaiah. Isaiah is one of God's prophets who lived in Jerusalem in the latter half of Israel's kingdom period. Jeremiah mentioned this last week. There were four different kings that ruled during Isaiah's prophecy. His prophecy came some 700-ish years before the coming of Christ. Isaiah is speaking on God's behalf to the leaders of Jerusalem and Judah warning them about God's judgment, warning them that their rebellion against God would come at a cost, namely that God was going to use the great empires of Assyria and later Babylon to judge Jerusalem if they persisted in idolatry and oppression of the poor. There are some harsh warnings in the book of Isaiah. 
At the same time, Isaiah offers God's people a message of hope. Isaiah deeply believed that God would fulfill all of his covenant promises, that he would send a king from David's line to establish God's kingdom, and that this king, who would have dominion over all the worldly kingdoms, would lead Israel in obedience to God's ways, and that God's blessing and salvation would flow outward to all the nations, as Jeremiah preached last week. This was the hope Isaiah saw. This was the vision of hope that provoked Isaiah to speak out against the corruption and idolatry of Israel at that time. So let me now go ahead and read our passage for this morning. You're welcome to follow along. It should be on the screen behind me. Or just close your eyes and listen. There's some really vivid imagery in today's passage. So if it's helpful for you to just listen, welcome to do that as well. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. What do you hear in this passage? What do you see or sense? What images are vivid to you? Take a moment and just ponder that. What strikes you? What leaves an impression? There's no right or wrong answer here. What do you notice? Anyone care to share? Children in danger. Okay. Ah, danger is removed. Thank you, Susan. Okay, interesting. Mm -hmm. A remnant, Scott. Okay. What else? Let's take one more. Mm, predator and prey coexisting peacefully. Thank you, Randy. Well, I've had the, the privilege or the advantage, I suppose, of spending the whole week uh, re- reflecting on this scripture, and I noticed what you all shared as well. For me, there is absolutely a message of hope in this passage. Jeremiah focused us on that theme last week, and I think this passage picks it up nicely. This image of a new shoot coming up from a dead stump is one that's very vivid to me. In fact, this image, this metaphor, is one I have returned to countless times in the past two and a half, three years as we've endured this pandemic, as we've endured unrest and war of various kinds, the unveiling of injustices deep in our world and in our communities, endings and losses of various kinds and so forth. 
this image of new life coming from something that is seemingly hacked off, something that's been chopped down and destroyed. This has been a great source of hope for me. It has been a reminder to me of who God is, that our God is one who brings life back into dead things, that our God is one who births new life, sometimes in the most unexpected ways, that our God, above all, is a God of resurrection. Just when we think the story is over, God says, "Mm, not yet, not yet. I am doing a new thing. Do you perceive it? Are you paying attention? I've held on to that image and really let it burn itself in my brain. I have had to, to get through these past few years. So there's absolutely a powerful metaphor here of life and resurrection. But it's more than that. In this prophecy, Isaiah is saying that Israel is going to be chopped down like a tree. The empires of Assyria and Babylon will plunder Israel, leaving it like a stump in a field, a scorched and burned remnant, a shadow of what it once was. This is not exactly a message of hope, not at first blush anyway. But Isaiah says that this burning is not the end of the story that death is not the end, that this stump is going to be God's holy seed that will survive into the future. God says through Isaiah that he will send a new king, that this new king will be called Emmanuel, and this Emmanuel will set God's people free once and for all from the violent, oppressive grip of worldly empire. Emmanuel will usher in a new kingdom, God's kingdom, and this king will bring about an age of peace and harmony for all the nations, all people. And this king, this new growth that will emerge from an old stump will be empowered through God's spirit to rule this kingdom. He will rule with wisdom. He will rule with understanding, with might, with knowledge and fear of the Lord. He will bring justice to the poor. He will bring freedom to the oppressed. He will, in fact, set all God's people free, all creation free from death and suffering once and for all. It's an amazing thought. This is the king in Isaiah's prophecy. This is the new shoot that will grow. His shall be a kingdom marked by peace, marked by justice, marked by harmony and wholeness. This is the prophecy of Isaiah, a prophecy that indeed proves true. Now here's the thing. This is a message, a telling of what God would do that far surpassed what Isaiah would see in his lifetime. Centuries would pass. Centuries would pass before God sent this king, this Messiah, into the world to rescue God's people, to usher in a new kingdom, to set in motion a new creation. Isaiah would have lived hoping, waiting, trusting by faith in the meantime. We are people who share a similar story. The second half of our passage this morning, Randy, as you pointed out, describes a world where all creation seems to be living in harmony, where relationships are set right, where power is fairly distributed, where nothing is hurt, nothing is destroyed, a vision where all creation is equal and under the authority of King Jesus. When you look around the world today, when you look around your neighborhoods, your communities, the church, Do you see that? Do you see that? We don't see it, do we? Not in fullness, not in a grand way. 
we see the opposite. A lot of the time, we see war, we see famine, we see climate crisis, we see racism, we see power abuse, we see fractured relationships of various kinds. I don't yet see this part of Isaiah's prophecy coming to bear. Do you? Isaiah's message is for a people waiting on God to bring his justice on violent, oppressive kingdoms and bring about God's kingdom of peace and harmony, of justice and wholeness. It's a message, I think, that's just as relevant uh, for us today as God's people in this moment of redemption history as it was at the time Isaiah originally spoke his prophecy. We, too, are a people in waiting living between the coming of Christ for the first time and the time when Christ will come again and set all things right. So my question for us this morning, my question for us this season of Advent is this. Like Isaiah and the rest of the faithful people in Israel, how do we learn to live well as the people of God in the meantime? How do we learn to live well as people who live in this so-called now-but-not-yet reality now in that God's kingdom already come near in Jesus two millennia ago and yet not in fullness? How do we learn to live well as people of peace under the rule and reign of, reign of Christ in the meantime? I wish I could give you a robust multi-point strategy for living well. I have no such strategy. I just have a couple thoughts I want to humbly offer this morning. To live well as the people of God, seeking to live like, to love like, to be formed by Jesus, there are two things that I think are absolutely critical. The first is largely what we've spent the entire semester talking about in our teaching around discipleship. It's this. We have to find ways to attach to Christ. We have to find ways to attach ourselves to Christ and practice those ways every day. That is to say, we have to discover what might be getting in the way of our relationship with God and ask God to help us release whatever that is. Ask God to remove it. And we have to open our eyes to those barriers, whether they're self-inflicted or externally inflicted. We have to examine our habits, our convictions, the things in this world we allow to disciple us, and get curious about what of that is producing fruit and what isn't, and then respond accordingly. We have to examine our prayer life, be open to exploring fresh ways of spending time with God, communing with God, resting with God. We have to examine our relationships, our participation in community life, and wonder if there's someone God's put on our path for a reason and be willing to walk with them. We have to spend time in God's word, to look to Jesus with an openness to learning more about what it looks like to live like him. We have to remember that our identity is foremost rooted in Christ, that in Christ we are enough, deeply beloved, already set free, and we have to be ready to remind one another of that because it's a truth we forget. So these are a few ways, a few practices we can explore that help us attach to Jesus, to abide in Christ, to remain connected to this true vine, deepening our intimacy with God and with one another. To live well as the people of God seeking to live like, to love like, and to be formed by Jesus, we must keep ourselves in the presence of Jesus, ever so close, ever so daily. What practices help you stay centered on Christ? There's a lot of wisdom in this room. I know there is. 
I know you all will have other ideas. What helps you remember that you belong to Christ? What helps you remember God's love for the world shown through Christ? Let's keep sharing those ways with one another. Let's keep practicing. The second thing I find absolutely critical to living well as God's people who live in between is this. We have to find ways to see and hold a kingdom perspective. We have to maintain a kingdom perspective. What do I mean by that? Isaiah gives us very vivid imagery that speaks to us about what God's kingdom is like. It's where the wolf shall live peacefully with the lamb. It's where the leopard and the goat shall lie down together. When the poor shall be lifted up, when the weak shall be cared for, when the least of these shall lead. These are helpful images, all useful images to help us find and hold on to this kingdom perspective. Paul gives us some poignant imagery to anchor to in his letter to the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians 1 and 2, Paul uses very familial language, very familial language to describe the impact of Christ's coming into creation. He uses words like adoption and inheritance. He says in chapter 1, verse 5, He, that is God, He destined us for adoption as His children through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of His will. Paul goes on to describe, describe God's plan through Christ as being a gathering up, a gathering up of all things in heaven and earth in him, that is, in Christ. This echoes what Paul says in his letter to the Colossians. In chapter 1, verses 17 through 20, Paul writes this, He, that's Christ, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. In God's kingdom, Jesus is first. In God's kingdom, Jesus has authority over all creation. In God's kingdom, Jesus is reconciling all creation together back to God. Paul, a servant of the gospel appointed by God to minister to the Gentile people, describes Christ's reign as a move by God to bring all of God's people, not just the chosen Israelites, all of God's people into God's kingdom, into oneness with God and oneness with all of creation. Once more to the Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, Paul says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups, that's the Jews and the Gentiles, he has made both groups one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. God's kingdom inaugurated through Christ as one of reconciliation. It's one where all creation is brought together in perfect harmony. Imagine that for a moment. Can you imagine it? Revelation is another place to look to help us form a picture of God's coming kingdom. In the final two chapters, chapter 21 and 22 of John's vision, we're given an image of a new heaven coming down to meet earth. In Genesis, we have a garden 
where God dwells with his people. In Revelation, we have a city where God dwells with his people. And down the center of this city flows a river. And we're told this is the water of life. And on either side of this river is a tree. And this tree produces fruit every month. And this tree has leaves that do what? Heal the nations. This too offers us imagination for God's kingdom. It is one of life. It is one of harmony. It is one of wholeness. It is one of healing where God reigns and dwells among his people. We can certainly look to scripture for clues that help us find and hold on to this kingdom perspective, a vision that helps us look beyond what what our eyes can see on the surface of daily life and towards another reality that we trust through faith is already among us because Jesus came to usher it in and will someday bring it to bear in fullness. How else do you find and hold a kingdom perspective What does that look like for you? How can we practice that together, this kingdom imagination? Let me give you one more example, something I found to be a helpful practice. I love cities. I often walk our city with the sole purpose of looking for evidence of God's inbreaking kingdom because I need to see it. And there are some days and some weeks I really need to see it. And when I'm paying attention, I always find it. Signs of beauty emerging through brokenness, Signs of light breaking through darkness. Signs of creation coming up through the cracks in an urban sidewalk. This helps me trust that God's kingdom is already afoot. God's work is already in motion. We just need eyes to see it. We need imagination to believe it. To live well as the people of God who live between Christ's first and second coming, we must find ways to hold on to this kingdom perspective. To maintain a vision of what God is up to in the world. A vision of nations healed. All people reconciled together into a new family. All creation redeemed, restored, and made new. Both of these practices, finding ways to deepen our attachment to Christ and maintaining a kingdom perspective, both of these practices at their core are about paying attention. And so my invitation for you this season is to pay attention. Pay attention to the way Christ is still revealing himself to the world. Pay attention to the ways Christ is revealing himself to you. Keep your eyes open to the ways God is drawing you closer, inviting you in, offering more of himself to you. And expect to be surprised, by the way, with how God chooses to do that. Pay attention to the ways God's kingdom is breaking into the world daily. Often it will be in small, seemingly hidden ways, much like a baby being born to an unsuspecting mother in a nondescript shed in a middle-of-nowhere place into a trough of hay. This is what inbreaking kingdom looks like. Pay attention. Keep your eyes open to the wonder of this season. When we do this, when we pay attention to the God who is still revealing himself to the world, when we pay attention to the ways God is still at work in the world, repairing and restoring all things. When we do this, I believe something else will happen that will absolutely help us live well as God's people who live in the meantime. We will begin to hear our call to participate, to join God in the bringing about of this kingdom reality. We say it around here all the time, thanks to Marty. God is looking for partners. And he is. God is looking for ordinary people like you and me to join his mission to restore and repair all things. And that calling, when we hear it, 
that invitation has the power to give our lives deep purpose and meaning and direction. To be a citizen of the kingdom is to believe that we do have a part to play in the bringing about of God's kingdom. It will look different for each of us. One of the joys of being invited in to the body of Christ, we get to see all the different ways we feel called to participate in God's redemptive work. But despite the diversity in our vocations, the call remains the same. Join in. Participate. Get on God's dance floor. Be up to what God is up to in the world. Be part of bringing God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We often say a prayer during Advent that goes like this. Come, Lord Jesus. And my prayer for us as we move into this season and well beyond it is that we would see ourselves as part of this coming that we would remember that we have been commissioned as God's people through the blood of the Lamb to become, to become the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus, called to feed the hungry, care for the sick, build bridges of peace, remove walls that divide, make pathways for justice to roll, to heal, to bind up, to love. So may each of you hear your call this Advent season to participate in God's coming kingdom, a kingdom of harmony, wholeness, and peace. Let me pray this simple prayer over you. Come, Lord Jesus, and help us give ear to your voice, to your call. Give us the capacity to hold hope and longing together. Help us know the part you'd have us play in the coming of your kingdom. Amen.